Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue with 2 Kings chapter 8. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise, and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can. For Yahweh has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick, and when it was told him, The man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, Take a present with you, and go to meet the man of God, and inquire of Yahweh through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him, and took a present with him all kinds of goods of Damascus, forty camels' loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. But Yahweh has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed, and the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with a sword, and dash in pieces their little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, What is your servant who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, Yahweh has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazael became king in his place. In the fifth year of Joram the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. Yet Yahweh was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zaire with all his chariots and rose by night, and he and his chariot commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah?
So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, and she was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. He went with Joram the son of Ahab to make war against Hazael, king of Syria at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah, when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. This is the word of the Lord. So we've got several things going on in the text today. The first section is a recounting of the miracles of Elisha. So if you go back to chapter 4, you would learn of the Shunammite woman um, that Elisha aids and returns life to her son who had died. Apparently, and this well, I shouldn't say apparently, but this was not included back in chapter 4. This is new to us here. At the time that he had done that for her family, he also warned them of what was coming. That a famine was coming upon the land. That Yahweh had put a famine on the land for the next seven years. And so they should go anywhere that they could find a place of respite, a place to live so that they would be able to, to keep living onward. Now, at the end of those seven years, she returned. And she wants her land back, she wants her house back, and she goes and she appeals to the king for it. As she's on her way to appeal to the king, he happens to be speaking to Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, and chronologically, we're all out of whack here, the last we heard of Gehazi, he had shown his greed to us, and been struck with leprosy. If he were a leper at this point already, he would not be allowed into the king's presence. So we have gone backwards in time a little bit, a bit of a rewind, a recap, to see this account play out. And so Gehazi is telling the king here the, of what Elisha has done. The king is specifically asked about the miracles of Elisha. And at that moment where Gehazi is telling the king about how Elisha raised the dead, in walks this woman with her son to appeal for their family's land again. And the king, impressed with the whole thing, gives to her her land and appoints an official to help her in that and return to her all the produce from the fields of her land uh, from that time period that she's been gone. Now, that shouldn't be too much, right? Because the land had experienced those seven years of famine. But we're not sure exactly how much time she might have missed outside of that roughly seven years. We're told she did sojourn with the Philistines for seven years, and at the end of the seven years she returned. So really there shouldn't be much of anything that she really missed um, during her absence. The next section recounts how the king of Syria relates to Elisha. And then we take a break from Elisha. So we'll come back to that thought in a moment. 
This actually takes us back to the near the end of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15, where God had sent Elijah to anoint Hazael as king over Syria and also to Elisha. Now, Ben-Hadad, currently king of Syria, is sick. And he's going to send a word to Elisha, who has come to Damascus. He's heard of it, and he asks one of his servants, Hazael, to take a present to this man of God, to the prophet, asking if he will recover. So he's seeking the favor of a god to grant him health. And he sends 40 camel loads worth of goods. That's quite a payment, isn't it? If you've ever been to a zoo, maybe you can talk about a camel with your family, your children, the size of a camel, how much they can carry. It could be a fun thing just to look that up on, on your computer or your phone and see how much could a camel haul and start talking about all of the things that they were offering for the healing of this king. We're not told here. You know, Naaman tried to bring a massive gift to Elisha, and Elisha refused it. We're not told what happens to this gift, whether or not Elisha took it or refused it. But what we do see is that Elisha tells Hazael that the king shall certainly recover, but he's going to die anyway. Ben-Hadad is not going to die from the sickness. He's going to die from something else. And after having said that, verse 11, Elisha stares at him. He just fixes his eyes on Hazael and won't stop staring at him. That's something that most of our kids can relate to. Uh, at some point or another, somebody has stared at them long enough it's been awkward. You know, I, I hear that from my kids as they fight at home sometimes. Stop staring at me. Stop looking at me. We all have those moments in this awkward world in which we live. And so Elisha stares at Hazael until Hazael is embarrassed. And, and at that point, Elisha begins to cry. And Hazael has, has to ask, why? Why does my Lord weep? And then Elisha reveals to Hazael what he knows, that Hazael will become king over Syria and he will be a wicked man who will tear apart the very people of Israel. So the people to whom God has called Elisha to serve and to minister as a prophet, Hazael is going to be responsible for killing many of them. Hazael's response is, What is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? Now you can take that great thing in two different ways, right? You could understand that as, Hazael is a Syrian, not liking the Israelites and thinking that it's going to be great for him to destroy some of them. Or you could simply take it as a reference to power. I'm just a servant. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a lowly dog. How, how should I do something so powerful, something so grand as that? So more of a scale of, of epicness than it is a scale of goodness, if that makes sense. It's hard to know which way Hazael is leaning with that. And then Elisha tells him, this is when he reveals to him that he's going to be king. Yahweh has shown me you are to be king over Syria. That begs the question, did Hazael already know it? Has Elijah already anointed him? 
as he was instructed again back in 1 Kings chapter 19 to do so? Or has that mission been passed on to Elisha? If Elijah has anointed Hazael already, perhaps it's like Saul and David over Israel, the first two Israelite kings, that Saul was king and while he was serving as king, God had David anointed to be king over Israel, but David waited until Saul was no longer living before he reigned as a king. So it could be that situation here. Whatever the, the outcome of that is, we know what happens. Hazael reports to Ben-Hadad what he's heard and then kills him the next day. Suffocates his king and takes the role of king himself. We take a break at that point. We, we stop the conversation about Elisha at least as fully as it's been. You saw this in 1 Kings as well. We had a break from talking about the various kings in order to talk about the prophet Elijah. Now in 2 Kings, we have a break from the various kings to talk about the prophet Elisha. And this again goes back to what we know about the prophet. He is the man who speaks God's word to the people. And although the king is appointed by God to be a servant to the people, to rule over them, Read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Uh, kings are not a good thing. And, and by king, I mean earthly government is not a good thing. And yet at the same time, it's a gift from God. So it's a both and. But here we know that the, the prophet of God is, well, his role is that much more important. He who listens to the word of God, whether the king is for him or against him, is in a good place, right? Even today, the ones who who hear the word of God and, and keep it, they're in a good place. Even if they serve, even if they live in a land where the government hates and persecutes them, or if they live in a land where the government lets them live in peace, it really ultimately doesn't make a difference because they are Christ, they are his, they get to live forever, and it's this beautiful, wondrous thing. Now, as we look then, to the other side of the break here in the text. What we see then is that in the fifth year of Joram, king of Israel, that would be about 847 BC, Jehoram begins to reign over Judah. Now, know that those names are interchangeable. At this point in history, both Israel and Judah have a king by the name of Jehoram, and it can be shortened to Joram. So they're the The same name. Different guys, but the same name. He gets to reign eight years over the nation of Judah. And he walks not in the ways of of God, but rather in the way of the king of Israel, the house of Ahab, doing evil in the sight of Yahweh. And the reason for it? The daughter of Ahab was his wife. So Jehoshaphat, who had been his father, was a good king for the people of Judah, doing what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, except, well, the exception mentioned for Jehoshaphat earlier in the book was that he didn't tear down all the high places. But what we see here now is that he made an alliance and marriage between Judah and Israel, 
and married his son to King Ahab's daughter. So you've got a wicked, pagan, worshipping queen over Judah. This is not good and is a reminder that when there was only one nation of God, one holy people, that God had very specifically commanded them not to marry outside of the land of Israel because they would be bringing in pagan worship and that those those foreign brides would lead their faith astray. And now that Israel and Judah are departed from each other, that they have split, we can see that divide and the way it shapes that the Israelites are essentially gone already and that the Judaites should not have married with the Israelites here and welcomed that false worship of these pagan gods into their home, but they do it anyway. And so we have this trouble falling upon the house of Judah. Now, what we get in verse 19 is a very important thing to discuss with your kids. Yahweh was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. God had promised David that someone would sit on the throne of David, one of his descendants would sit on the throne, ruling over God's people forever. And God is not going to go back on that promise, no matter how wicked this king is. This is something to talk with the kids about. Because we are wicked, right? We sin. We don't obey all the things that God has given us to do. We usually don't even want to. Is God still faithful to us? Is God still faithful to the promises that he made to us even when we sin? And the answer to that question is abundantly yes. That in Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. They've been taken away. We are made clean. We are his. We are, uh, yeah, our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. We get to live with Christ forever in the paradise that he is preparing for us. And so, yes, when we sin, it is wrong. We should not sin. But the Lord is faithful to his promise. He forgives that sin. He forgives that sin through his spoken word. He forgives it through the sacraments. He forgives it as he speaks to us, as he loves us. So that's a concept that your children really need to know as they grow up as a Christian in this world. They will fall short. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. But he loves us. And he is faithful, always. So from there, uh, we learn in verse 20 that two different groups, so Edom down to the south and also Libna, revolted against Joram. That would be Judah's Joram, not Israel's. That apparently Joram and Judah had ruled over these two areas, but not anymore. They saw an opening, they thought, and they took it to get out from underneath the rule of Judah. After eight years, so at the age of roughly, what, 40? Was he, he was 32, so 32 plus 8 is 40. Roughly 40 years old when he dies. And his son Ahaziah becomes king in his place. And that's the last section of what we read today. 
That would be around 840 BC that he begins to reign. He's 22 years old. He only reigns for a single year. And his mother's name is Athaliah. So that would be the wife of dad, Joram, Jehoram, king of Judah. This is that wicked queen we talked about, the daughter of Ahab. And so this young man, Ahaziah, this new king, also walks in the way of the house of Ahab, doing evil in the sight of Yahweh because he is the son-in-law to Ahab's house. So that, that pagan worship just continues through um, as, as we move forward for the next generation. That brings us, if you're keeping score, we finally have an update on the kings of Judah because over Israel we've had no good kings, but we've had nine kings who do evil in the sight of Yahweh. Now over Judah we have two that have done good, in the sight of Yahweh, and we're up to four, having added two more. We're up to four that have done evil in the sight of Yahweh in the text. Lastly, we know that Joram would go to make war against the Syrian king Hazael, who we read about earlier, and gets wounded by them. At Ramoth Gilead, which is about 50 miles to the east of the Jordan River, and he travels back. He returns to Jezreel, which is in Israel, uh, pretty much straight west from Ramoth Gilead, but a long way off yet from Samaria, which is down to the southwest. And as he is sick and, and wounded, Ahaziah, king of Judah, goes down to see him. Uh, down being a, a reference to that topography when you talk about the actual elevation in places uh, again on a map for us he would have to travel north in order to make this journey